Amen. We're going back through our journey through the Old Testament, and we're in the fifth book of the Bible, which is Deuteronomy. So tonight our goal is a giant overview of the book of Deuteronomy, really the background of what Deuteronomy is, the point of it, some important scriptures or themes throughout it. And then next week, God willing, we'll be able to look at chapter 1 and then continue going chapter by chapter through the Old Testament. We'll just read verse 1. The first half, it says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible, and it completes what we know as the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. The word Deuteronomy in the Greek means second law. Second law, and it gets this name, it gets this meaning, because a lot of Deuteronomy, Moses is repeating Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. It's a great overview of everything that happened to Israel in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But it's kind of a, a bad translation because he's not just saying, hey, here's the Ten Commandments, and here's the Ten Commandments for the second time. That's why the original name in the Hebrew was literally, these are the words. And that's, that's a better meaning for what this book is about. Because Moses, truly what the book, of, the book of Deuteronomy is all about, is Moses going through several sermons or Bible studies. You could picture the whole nation of Israel. They're there next to the Jordan. They have the new promised land right behind them and Moses is going through giving them sermon after sermon and this book truly is a book of transition and preparation for something new on so many levels the nation of Israel they're at the cusp of going into the promised land and this is something new the older generation all of the men of fighting age and older have passed away and died. And now it's this new generation who's waiting to go into the promised land. It's also a book of transition because Moses, he's in the final weeks of his life. And he's about to transition from him being the leader of Israel and him taking Israel into the promised land. And he's going to pass the baton to Joshua. And Joshua's going to be the one to finish getting the nation of Israel into the promised land. So Moses is going to reiterate not only all of the law to this younger and this new generation, not only is he going to do it to remind perhaps his son in the faith, Joshua, but he's going to remind them of what the Lord did for them. He's going to remind them how their parents failed, and he's going to warn them about a couple things ahead. Again, it's so important to remember all of the older generation that was in slavery to Egypt is dead and gone. And studying, this is one of the things that, that hit me the most. The generation that saw the ten plagues, the generation that saw the Red Sea ripped in two, the generation that saw the powerhouse of Egypt crumble and fall within ten plagues, they did not have enough faith to go into the promised land. The nation that saw all the miracles of God, this whole generation got wiped out because they did not trust in God. And now the generation that has not seen these miracles, they've seen their fair share of miracles, but they did not see these miracles because of the focus on the word of God. They're going to have the faith to go into the promised land. I, I hope you catch that, how much 
time are you spending in the Word of God? God's Word tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. If you're not taking your personal Bible reading time seriously, your faith in the Lord is not going to grow. It's also so interesting because this older generation, these two million people, their lack of faith and their fear was truly plugged into what would happen to their children if they went into the promised land. What would happen to their children if they would go in? And now those very same children that their parents were so worried about, they are the ones that are about to enter into the promised land and destroy giants and destroy nations and destroy cities and destroy kings and apprehend all that God had for them. We are not to make decisions by fear, but by faith and trust in the word of God. The author of the book of Deuteronomy is Moses. Every chapter in here, it's Moses. The end of the book, Moses dies, so we don't think Moses is writing from the dead. So Deuteronomy chapter 34, we believe that perhaps Joshua, he's the one that wrote the end of the book, or one of the high priests, they're the ones that finish the book. Again, verse 1 says, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. It's a series of sermons that Moses is giving to this new generation Not only before they go into the promised land, but before Moses dies. And I think it's important for us to put ourselves into Moses' sandals for a little bit. Moses, he grew up in Egypt. Moses then thought he was all that in a bag of chips. So he goes and he tries to save Israel. He tries to kill. He kills an Egyptian. He hides him in the sand. The next day they say, hey, are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? The slaves, they don't trust Moses. They don't want Moses. Moses is fearful for his life. He runs to the wilderness. He stays in the wilderness for 40 years. Then God calls him. He goes back to Egypt, believing and finally realizing he's an absolute nobody. And then he spends 40 years with Israel in the desert. Moses is 120 years old. And he's been a part of a death march for the past 40 years, 40 years of having 2 million people die and roll over. That's what Moses has been a part of. And now the only original men are Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. Not only is he 120 years old, in the last 40 years, all he's been hearing is the murmuring of the Israelites. All he's been seeing is, yes, the miracles of God, but the death of so many people But Moses is also having to live with the fact that he disqualified himself from being able to enter into the promised land. And I think this is one of these portions of scriptures where where we realize the meekness and humility in Moses. Moses, from all accounts, he's still being an absolutely incredible leader, even though he knows he's not going to get the promised land. He's still being faithful to God, and he's still being faithful to all the people. And not only that, but these are Moses' last few weeks here on earth. So imagine the emotion and the gravity in the heart of Moses as he's giving these sermons to this new generation of people who had not witnessed the miracles within Egypt. And also imagine the pain in his heart and how proud he is of Joshua as he's trying to lead him to be a better leader than he was. Joshua. 
The only man we see consistently being faithful to the Lord and to Moses throughout their time in the wilderness. The only other man that would want to see God and would want to speak to God and be there in communion and fellowship with God was Joshua. So now they're there on the bank of the Jordan River. They have the promised land as the background. And each day, you could imagine, they have their sacrifice. They roast a huge ox, a huge bull, right? They have a pahriyala for everybody. Then everybody gathers, and then Moses starts teaching. And that's what they're doing for about 40 days here. We could go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, because Moses, especially the second half of the book, Moses is really pleading with the nation of Israel. He's pleading with them. He's begging them. And any good preaching at the end of it should have a tone and a heart of trying to beg the audience to not only make a decision, but make the right decision. I don't know, as a parent, if you've had to go through that with your children. The latest uh, case of that with my kids was telling them, hey, you could either have soda or you could have dessert. And we know we're going to a special place for dessert. Choose dessert, not soda, right? Whatever the case may be, Moses is trying to get them to make the wise decision. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall shall surely perish You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice. And that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Moses, he put before this great multitude life or death. The blessing of God or the cursing of God. And that same decision is out there for every single human being today. For every single one of us today, we can make the decision today to choose the life and the blessings of God, or we can actively choose death and the cursings of God. And it's all dependent on if we love Him and if we're following His commandments. For, the, for you students of the Bible, here's the outline. We're going with Warren Wiersbe and his outline. It's a four-point outline. Point one is the historic concerns and Moses looking back. The historic concerns and Moses looking back. That's chapters one through four. Moses, he's reminding them of their parents 
the foolish decisions their parents made, the lack of faith their parents had, and all the problems that their parents incurred because of their poor choices. Historical concerns, Moses takes a look back. Second point are practical concerns. Moses looking within. That's found in chapters 5 through 26. Moses begins to go through many practical concerns with the people right in front of them. He looks into their hearts and their lives and he says, Hey, I'm concerned about you doing the wrong thing or making the wrong choice. So important for us to take a step back and cry out to God and say, God, search my heart. That was a radio topic, I believe, today, right? Lord, search my heart. Lord, reveal to me the plank in my eye so then I can deal and I can help my brothers and sisters with the specks in their eyes. So practical concerns, Moses looking within. The third point are prophetical concerns and Moses looking ahead. That's in chapters 27 through 30. Moses takes a look ahead, and that's truly a great problem for many of us, that when we're in the battle, when we're in the fire, when our life is on the line, we find ourselves crying out to God because we realize how much we need Him. For many of us, the danger comes when life is going great, we just got the promotion, we just bought the new toy, we just got married, things are looking up and up, and we forget our need of God And we just keep cruising and we leave him and we forsake him. That was Moses' concerns with the nation of Israel that once they got all the blessings of the promised land, they would forget the Lord their God. That's in chapters 27 through 30. And then finally, Moses, he's a human being. And the last point are Moses' personal concerns. Moses looks up. That's in chapters 31 through 34. Moses is wrestling with God, saying, God, can't I get in there, right? Lord, would you not let me get in there? And God finally tells Moses, like some of us with our kids, enough. Don't bring this up again. That's how God has to deal with Moses. So there's the historical concerns, Moses looking back, chapters 1 through 4. The practical concerns, Moses looking within, chapters 5 through 26. The prophetical concerns, Moses looking ahead, chapters 27 through 30. And the personal concerns, Moses looking up, chapters 31 through 34. A couple key words throughout the book of Deuteronomy where we can really get, okay, what's the theme of this book? The phrase that we find within the book of Deuteronomy 279 times is the Lord your God. The Lord your God. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And we see a lot of the attributes of God within this one book. Who is God? Who is the Lord our God? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The God we serve, the God of the Bible, He truly is the only God. The three in one, the perfect trinity. And in view of Him, and in view of how great He is, we should love Him with everything we've got. You you have that teacher come up to Jesus and he says, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? What does Jesus tell him? 
Love the Lord your God with everything you got, basically. And then the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, getting ahead of myself, but Jesus is quoting the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book. Deuteronomy also tells us that our God, he's the only God. Chapter 4 tells us that he's a jealous God. Chapter 7 tells us that he's a faithful God. Again in chapter 7, it tells us that he's a loving God. Chapter 4 tells us that he's a merciful God. And chapter 6 tells us that he's a God that gets angry by our sins. So much of the attributes of God are found in this one book. Some other key words, the words shall not, God sounds like a parent, appear 128 times. Don't do that. Don't do this. Thou shalt not do this 128 times. Another great theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy is listening to the Lord our God. He tells us to listen 31 times. And we all know it's not enough to listen, but we are to listen and obey. Listen and obey. That word obey is 15 times within the book of Deuteronomy. The word observe is 26 times. The word keep is 32 times. We see it all throughout the book. It's not enough to just hear the word of God or read the the word of God. But Jesus tells us that the wise man is the one who hears these sayings of mine and does them. So if we're just hearing a ton of Bible, if we're reading through the Bible, but we're not applying any of it, it does us no good. Just like you can't look at your health compared to how often you're going to the doctor, right? You can't, oh, look how healthy I am. I go to the doctor like once a week. What are you talking about, right? It's all dependent. Hey, are you listening to the advice of the doctor? You go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Another common theme we have here, which again, it just makes God sound more and more like a parent throughout the book of Deuteronomy, is the word remember. Remember, it happens 15 times throughout the book. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It tells us, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. It's a great tool to fight sin, to take a step back and remember all that the Lord has done for you. Because oftentimes our temptation to sin comes from a heart and attitude. Hey, if I don't do this, I won't be satisfied. Or if I don't do this, I won't feel good. If I don't do this, man, I'm, I'm going to miss out on something. So important to take a step back and remember who you once were and all of the mighty miracles that God has done for you. Because if we're honest, we are prone to forget. We're prone to forget. Each and every one of us, we have a very selective memory, right? If we're honest, we have a selective memory. Just like our kids, you tell your kids that you promised them you're going to take them out for ice cream or you're going to buy them a certain something every hour on the hour. They're reminding you about their memory, right? Hey, you said you were going to do this. You said we were going out for ice cream. You said you were going out for ice cream. Now, if you tell them to clean their room, what? Right? I never remember you saying that. What are you talking about? Same thing with a husband and wife. 
Right? How often do we as husbands ask our wives, hey, do we have any plans this weekend? Is there anything going on this weekend? And they tell you, they told you 10 times, it's in the calendar, check the calendar. That's what my wife tells me at least, right? And we are prone to forget. We can go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Quick story on how prone we are to forget. This week my wife was giving me a saying to remind me to write things down. So she told me that she heard a teaching from Sandy Adams. And he said, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. So I went, I got a notebook, and I started going through. And my brain told me the shortest pencil is better than the longest pen. So I'm literally looking for a pen. I'm like, why do I need a pen? She's like, no, no, no. Shortest pencil, better than the longest memory. doesn't matter what writing utensil you grab. <laughs> Each and every one of us, that's how quick we are to forget. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, Peter tells his sons and daughters, he tells them, For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The word reminded three times within verse 12, 13, 14, 15. Three times as what it is about being a good pastor or a good parent, a good friend, is reminding things. There's nothing new within Scripture. There's no new revelation. Be careful with someone that says, hey, I have a new revelation for you. That's run away. Run for your life, right? What truly scripturally someone speaking into your life is reminding you of the things in God's Word. It's reminding you and reminding you and reminding you. And that's what we need on a daily basis. That's why it's so important to just read through God's word. Read through God's word over and over and over. Another popular theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy is the word covenant. The word covenant, it's found 27 times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 and this holds true for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. And He repays those who hate Him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which I commanded you today to observe them. 
Our God, what he desires is a covenant of love. He extends it first. And now are we willing to reciprocate that covenant? God wants to enter into a covenant of love with you. That's his desire. So often we think there's two gods, right? There's the God of the Old Testament. It's fire. It's lightning. It's right the bad God, the mean God. And then in the New Testament, it's all love and flowers and roses and chocolates. We're here and God is talking about that he wants to enter into a covenant of love with you. His covenant has enough to give mercy for thousands of generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. It's so important for us, no matter what we've done in the past, if today we're willing to come to Christ in faith and acknowledging our sin and our need for him, he's going to pour out that mercy upon our lives. And he's not going to give us what we truly do deserve. One last real big theme throughout the book of Deuteronomy is the theme of our heart and the theme of love. Heart pops up 49 times within the book of Deuteronomy. And love pops up 24 times throughout the book of Deuteronomy. And 24 times may not seem like that much until you take a step back and you look at the first four books of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, the word love, you see it four times within the whole book. First is Abraham's love for Isaac. Then secondly is Isaac's love for food. Then third is Jacob's love for Rachel. And then it's Leah's love for Jacob. Very weird looking at those four loves, right? Abraham, how much he loves his son. Then Abraham's son, sounds like me, sounds like some of our kids, right? How much Isaac loves food. Then how much Jacob loves Rachel. Then how much Leah, the other wife, loves Jacob. In the book of Exodus, you find the word love only two times. And it's talking about how the people should have a love for their God. And then it talks about how a servant has such a love for his master that he wants to serve him forever. So we're at six times within two books. Then the book of Leviticus, we find the word love only two times. And it's speaking about love for our neighbor as yourself and then loving the stranger as yourself. So within the first three books of the Bible, we only see eight times the mention of love. And then here in the book of Deuteronomy, it's over 16 times that we find this word love. We find it 24 times. But this love is all about God's love for us and then our love for him. God's love for us and then our love for him. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. And here's the reality of the gospel, the reality of the good news. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Be mindful of that. God loves you not because of how great you are or amazing you are or what you're going to do for him and his kingdom. God loves you. God loves me because of how weak and frail we are. 
because of how much we need him. He's loved us, not because we were the biggest or the best. He's loved us because we were the least of all the people. In verse 13, he says, And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain and your new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land which he swore to your fathers to give you. Our God, he has many blessings for us if we love him and keep his commandments. Do you love the Lord your God with everything you've got? Do you truly love him? There's so much blessing there in obedience to God. One of the most famous scriptures in Deuteronomy that's often taken out of context is that you're going to be the head and not the tail. That man, you follow God, you're going to be the head, not the tail. All I could think of is the plays in middle school, right? The poor guys that got to be the donkey or the horse or the zebra, right? Takes two people to put on that costume. I don't, want to be the, I don't want to be the tail. I want to be the head, right? But the Lord, he's not there telling us to name it and claim it. That's a specific blessing for the nation of Israel. For us, yeah, at the end of the age, we're definitely going to be the head and not the tail. But until then, we're promised tribulations and hatred because they hated Jesus Christ. Another scripture on God's love for us, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. You see, it's very important for us, especially those of us who are parents, and we'll look at another portion of Scripture for those of us who are parents. The nation of Israel, first generation out of Egypt, they all had, if you would, crazy testimonies. They had insane testimonies. They all used to do X, used to do Y, used to do Z. Then God radically saved them, and then they started following the Lord their God. Radical transformation. Their homes changed, their hobbies changed, their friendships changed, everything changed within their lives. But now within the second generation, they're all growing up under the covering and the protection and the change that the parents have already gone through. So that's why it's so important for us as parents that our sons and daughters know that they have to enter into their own covenant with the Lord their God. For each and every one of you here today that you're a young adult or younger and you've just known Christianity your whole life, you need to make the decision to enter into that covenant with the Lord. It's been said God has no grandchildren. No grandchildren. Each and every one of us, if you're parents, you had the blessing that you grew up in a Christian home. You grew up going to church. We have to make a decision to enter into a covenant with God knowing that not only does he love our parents, but he loves you. And he wants to have a special friendship and relationship with you. The book of Deuteronomy, it's the book that Jesus references the most. When Jesus had fasted, what's the longest amount of time you've gone without eating, right? Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. If that wasn't difficult enough, Satan then comes and tempts him in the middle of a desert. He's not praying and fasting in the woods or on the mountaintop. 
He's not praying and fasting at the beach. I think I might be able to handle that, right? No, he's praying and fasting in the wilderness, in the desert. And now Satan comes and tempts him, and each time Jesus responds with Scripture. And all three Scriptures are found in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, when Satan tempts Jesus 40 days without eating, how many of us, if we're a little bit hungry, we just start eating whatever's randomly on the table, right? Your kid has goldfish after class and you're hungry, ah, just throw down some goldfish, right? 40 days without eating. And Satan tempts Jesus to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus responds from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If this is true in our lives, what's our diet of God's word? What's our diet of God's word if we truly live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? The next temptation was to jump off of the the pinnacle of the temple and have the angels catch him. Because of the promises God had for the Messiah. And Jesus responds in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then finally Jesus is tempted by Satan to take a shortcut. All he has to do is bow down to Satan. And Satan will give him all the kingdoms of the earth. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 Jesus responds to Satan with scripture and says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. Once again, how much are you you spending time in the word of God? It's a key defense for us against temptation. When our emotions come up and tell us one thing or another, take a step back and ask yourself, What does the word of God have to say? Somebody disses you, somebody gets you mad, and you want to flare up with a a bunch of anger, a bunch of resentment, take a step back, and and a soft answer turns away wrath, right? So, So much scripture. Thompson, that's from the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, he says, Deuteronomy is one of the greatest books of the Old Testament. Its influence on the domestic and personal religion of all ages has not been surpassed by any other book in the Bible. It is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament. And this, it belongs to a small group of four Old Testament books. The others being Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, to which the early Christians made frequent reference. Deuteronomy has been a special book for believers for centuries. So important for us to know. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. In verse 2, it here tells us about the journey of Israel. tells us that their journey in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2, it's an 11-day journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. 11-day journey. Doesn't sound that bad, right? But now you read the next verse and it says, Now it came to pass on the 40th year. Wait, what? 11-day journey... Yet now we're going to start talking about the 40th year in the 11th month on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. 
Again, the Lord he set in front of the nation of Israel an 11-day journey. And because of their sin, because of their lack of faith, it became a 40-year journey. C.H. McIntosh says, 11 days and yet it took 40 years? How was this? Alas, we need not travel far for the answer. It is only two like ourselves. How slowly we get over the ground. What windings and turnings. How often we have to go back and travel over the same ground again and again. We are slow travelers because we are slow learners. Our God is faithful and wise as well as gracious and patient as a teacher. He will not permit us to pass over our lessons. Sometimes perhaps we think we've mastered a lesson and we attempt to move on to the next. But our wise teacher knows better and he sees a need of deeper plowing. He will not have us mere theorists or mere smarterers. He will keep us, if need be, year after year at our scales until we learn to sing. Perhaps you're still battling with the same sin. Perhaps you're still battling with the same lack of faith. Perhaps you've been saved for 10 years, but you've only gone through kindergarten 10 times. Sadly, each of us as believers, it's dependent on me, it's dependent on you. How much do you want to grow with the Lord? This past Monday, we were talking about with the young adults in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that how much we want to be used by God is completely dependent on me. If I want to be used mightily by God, I need to continue to put away dishonorable things. I need to continue to set myself apart away from this world and set myself apart to the things of God. I need to continually flee youthful lusts and then I will be a vessel of honor ready to be used by the master. I pray if you're here and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? If you're sick and tired, you've just been dealing with the same sins over and over and over again. Put it to death tonight. Say, Lord, I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to put it to death. I want to grow with you. It always reminds me of Joe Foe. He says, our God has a pattern of making young men old in the faith fast. If we truly desire to grow with the Lord, he can do it. He can do it. David was, what, 15, 16 years old when he goes up to fight Goliath. Our God, he can make a young man old very fast. Do you care about the age of your pilot that's flying you from one place to the next? Do you really care about their age? Or do you care about how much flying experience they actually have? If the guy's 22 years old, but he's been flying for over two years nonstop, compared to a guy that's 80 years old, but he's flown three times, who are you picking? Again, our God has a habit of making young men old fast. And old men, we look at Caleb in Deuteronomy and in Joshua, he can use old men as well. But it's all about how much we want to be used by him. I also think this is a very important reminder for us as believers. Today, often we talk about the grace of God and the mercy of God, which is very important. We talk about the selfless love of God, the unending love of God. But I believe some believers or some so-called believers 
take that to an extreme where they could do whatever they want and at the end of the day they'll pray a prayer and then they'll be able to see Jesus face to face. We've heard about that poem about the footprints on the sand. Have any of you heard that poem before, right? Footprints on the sand. One day I was dreaming and I thought and I saw two footprints on the sand and it was God's footprints and mine. And then I looked at the most difficult parts of my life and I only saw one set of footprints and I got angry and asked the Lord, Lord, why did you leave me in my greatest time of need? And he says, son, that's where I picked you up and I carried you in those most difficult parts. Listening to Sandy Adams, he, he, he speaks this poem. I don't know if Sandy wrote it or where he got it from, but just pay attention. He says, Prince on the sand. He says, one night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they're too big for human feet. My child, he said in a somber tone, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed. You would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not sow. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there, I dropped you on your duff. <laughs> because in life, there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand or leave their duff prints in the sand. Now, I don't know if this is Pastor Sandy or who wrote this, but it's important for us to know there is a line that God, he says, enough, and he leaves you, and he moves on. And each of us, we need to be reminded of that line. The nation of Israel, they saw so many miracles. God did so much. God gave them so many promises. But they rebelled, and they rebelled, and they rebelled. And finally, God said, you are not entering in the promised land. And perhaps that's you today. You've been fighting with God over and over and over again. And in the back of your mind, you have this pipe dream that at the last second, you'll be able to cry out to God. And he'll do it and he'll give you everything you've ever dreamed of and wanted. That you're not going to follow him at all. But at the end of the day, you're going to get all the blessings of God. We have to be reminded just as gracious and merciful and kind as our God is, he is righteous and holy and pure. And may we not abuse the great balance and the great love of our God. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day I put before you life and death, blessing and a curse. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we see some incredible parenting advice here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll read verse 1 through 9. It says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandsons. All the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly 
as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now the nation of Israel, they took these words and what they, the way they applied it was that God wanted them to take leather boxes and put scripture in it and you call it phylacteries. If you want to beat someone in a word game, you write down the word phylacteries, right? And there's little leather boxes and they literally tie them on their hands. They tie it on their forehead. That's why they have that huge box on their forehead. They have the mezuzah, which has a little piece of scripture in it. And they put it on their doorpost. They kiss it before they go out and before they come in. But what God wanted was his word to be marked upon their lives. And not enough for God's work to mark their lives, but for God's word to be continually on their lips, teaching their children diligently. When you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Parents, the responsibility of your sons and daughters' spirituality is not on the youth pastor, is not on the kiddos, is not on the senior pastor, it's on you. Here, God doesn't tell them, now here, O pastor, O leader, it's important. I have to make sure I'm clear and I'm teaching the truth of God's word. But the responsibility is on me for my three children. The responsibility is on you for your children. Are you teaching them diligently? Are you teaching them? And and notice what God wants here. God doesn't want you to pull out a PowerPoint presentation and a three-hour sermon every day for your kids. What, what he says is just teach it to them diligently. Talk about it when you're sitting down in the house. When you get up and you're walking by and something reminds you of the things of God, talk to them about it. When you're going to bed, talk to them about it. When you wake up, talk to them about it. So much of life is bringing up small situations and bringing the glory back to the Lord. When you see birds flying around or eating, we can remind our sons and daughters how God cares for them, how they're not stressed out, how they're not anxious, and the Lord always feeds them. The the little things that happen day in and day out, sit down and bring it back to the Lord. But if we're consumed with our phones, if we're consumed with work, if we're consumed with hobbies or sports or music, then we're not going to be teaching it diligently to our children. We're talking to them about it when we sit down, when we walk, when we lie down, and when we rise up. So much of parenting is this, taking our kids' eyes and just putting it back on the Lord over and over and over again. Finally, where do we see Jesus within the book of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 We get this incredible prophecy. Deuteronomy 18 verse 15. It tells us, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst. 
from your brethren, and him you shall hear. Jesus spoke with such authority that the people were blown away by it. He's that prophet that has been brought up and raised up by God himself. And then in verse 16, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. So God, he put on human flesh, he came down, and he dwelt among us. Another portion of scripture where we see Jesus is Deuteronomy chapter 21. Worship team, you guys can come up. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 and 23. If, if you've read through Deuteronomy with us as we're reading through the Bible, within this chapter, this is just almost random. It, it pops up out of nowhere within this chapter. And in Deuteronomy 21, Verse 22 and 23 says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And that's exactly what Jesus went through for us. He was accursed of God in that moment when he put on all of our sin and all of the sin of mankind. He was hung on that tree for you and for me taking our sins. But now the plea that God gives us is, hey, you want to enter into this covenant with me? I've put before you life and death. I've put before you a blessing and a curse. Please choose life. So, Lord, we thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Uh, we thank you for your word and for each and every one of us, God. Help us, help us, Holy Spirit, to choose life, Lord. Whether it's the first time tonight, Lord, that we cry out to you and we pray the sinner's prayer and we ask for salvation. Or, Lord, perhaps it's a decision that we're facing, Lord. A decision, Lord, that will draw us nearer to you or a decision that's going to lead us far from you, God. Help us tonight, Lord. Help us tomorrow and the day after to choose life and that abundantly. Lord, just thank you so much for your word. Help us to take in more and more of it, Lord. Truly help us to fight our temptation. Help us to fight sin with the power of your word. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. Help us to continue to be blown away at the fact that you hung on that tree for me, how you hung on that tree for each and every one of us, Lord, to open up this opportunity to enter into this lifelong, this eternal lifelong commitment and covenant together with us. So we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand. We'll close in worship. If you need prayer, there's pastors up front. If not, we'll just close in song.